Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. The first month of 2023 is done, and now we're on to the next one. Oh, by the way, I would like to thank you all so much. Last month had the most download we ever had ever since we started this endeavor. So I really, really appreciate your support. And please, let's continue to go onwards and upwards. If you want to officially join our humble yet powerful community, please go ahead and click the subscribe button and feel the power of the immigrant nation. Also, if you or someone you know wants to be a guest on the podcast, reach out to our social media accounts at An Immigrant's Life or email me at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. Let's connect and let's tell your beautiful story. House cleaning is done. Now, let's talk about this week's episode. I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode because I felt so much joy during and after recording this episode. Because the story of our guest started really sad and dark. But instead of being bitter, he consciously chooses to live his life with gratitude. So let's not waste more time. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a future anthropologist. He was raised to be a Cajun sensation till he found out he's a fantastic Tajik. Everyone, please welcome Joshua Bro. Hi guys, thank you all so much for having me. This means the world. I'm super excited. Seriously, I mean, thank you for coming on and agreeing to come on the podcast. Oh, of course. You know, I saw your DM and I've seen your work with my friends Malika and Camila, and I said, oh, I had to jump on this. This looks awesome. What a great oh. opportunity. Oh, that means a lot. I love those girls. Shout out yes, to those girls. Awesome. I love them. Um, why don't you tell the immigrant nation where they can reach you if you want to promote anything? Yes. Yeah, so um, I have a TikTok and Instagram. They both have the same handle, Tajik name Josh. Um, anything Tajikistan or Tajik related, Central Asian related, I talk about. If you want to learn more about those sorts of things, just come check me out. Mm, beautiful, man. You like put in work on those things, man. Yeah, man. I, I've been doing this since um, I was about 17 years old, 16 years old. Um, I kind of got a um, start on Facebook. I had a little Facebook group because when I was in high school, my mom didn't let me have social media. All I could have was Facebook, and I was connecting with all like my aunts and uncles, you know, in that's Louisiana. That's social media. Oh uh, yeah, that's the only social media I could have though, just Facebook. And so I made the most of it. I made a little group um, called Culture of Tajikistan, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to just like start connecting with Tajiks on Facebook, asking questions about the culture, making these like silly Wednesday videos about just sort of things I learned about it. So it was just a fun way for me to start. And then now I'm here. It's been an awesome process. Mm -hmm. When you make those posts, sometimes you post images that like mixed with other uh, images. What do you use? Photoshop? I use Photoshop, correct? Yeah, I really am trying to kind of create like a um, universal fabric within my social media, so when people kind of see my stuff, they know it's mine. So I was able to find some really cool Persian textile um, 
templates. Um, and with that, I just like to play around with it, mix things up. I can put like a picture of a Pamiri woman on top of this Persian template, or I can put a picture of a, a Sikroli woman from uh, Western China on this and talk about the Tajiks of China. So it's just sort of like that fabric for me. Mm, beautiful. So you're doing this, but you're taking anthropology in LSU. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. That's right. Go Tigers. Uh, yeah. So I started, um, I've always been interested in cultures and history. So like you guys understand, I was adopted uh, to a Louisiana family from Eastern Europe. I was born in Moscow um, and I was two years old. Some Cajuns adopted me. My mom and dad are both Cajun. Um, so I was raised with a really rich Cajun culture around me. So we would, you know, we'd sing them Cajun songs. We had them Cajun phrases like, you know, like my grandma, she give us food. She goes, so c'est bon, we, uh, c'est bon, c'est bon. You know, we'd have to say all the French stuff. Um, and so having that kind of rich um, understanding of culture has always been super important for me. Um, and growing up, I was super interested in Cajun culture, super interested in our family history, super interested in how um, family units work, social units work. This was always something that interested me. So when I started college, I kind of put that on the back burner a little bit. And I'm like, oh, I got to do something practical. I got to do business. I gotta, so I started with business. Um, but going into the uh, second year, I said, this isn't me. I, I got to switch. So I, I switched my major to anthropology and I haven't looked back since. Mm, and you're enjoying it? I really do love it. So it's a it's it's a pretty wide spectrum of things you can study in anthropology. So you can study archaeology, you can study biological anthropology, you can study social anthropology, cultural anthropology. So I'm kind of more in a sociology, cultural um, aspect of it. But I've been doing a lot of content and work learning about archaeology and evolution and bones. And so it's giving me a really cool, I guess, kind of scientific background to start with. And then once I kind of get through that with that, I can continue on with the more social and cultural aspects. Mm, definitely. You kind of browse over it, but I'd like to get into that. You yes. mentioned that you were adopted and you were born in Russia when, what, wait, two years old? Two years old, correct, correct. So I was born in uh, Moscow um, and my parents in, in, couldn't have children in, in the time, um, adopting from kind of Eastern countries. So Russia, China, India was a very... Um, kind of common thing happening in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. So um, my parents um, had some cousins who adopted from Eastern Europe uh, and they actually adopted a daughter who was Russian and then a Kazakh boy. Um, and so my parents also were like, well, we can't have children. This seems like a great opportunity to adopt. So they went over to Russia and adopted me and my younger sister, Anna Elizaveta. She's um, ethnically Russian. Um, and they always had information that I was um, Tajik, but we just kind of never understood what that meant for the longest time. Mm. So why did they decide to go to Russia? Why specifically Russia? Yeah, so I, I think it had to, a lot to do with the influences within their own life. So they were seeing people who um, were barren, not being able to have children, going over to Russia and adopting. I asked them the same thing. They actually tried to adopt um, nationally within their, within their nation, um, but it, it ended up not working out. And so... Um, they started looking internationally. They got um, with a um, you know adoption agency. They recommended Russia. They were able to you know find locate me and my sister. So it was just kind of like the trends at the time, to be honest. Mm. How did that make you feel? It's very interesting. I think there's a lot of like um, very kind of complicated dynamics amongst Rush, uh, Russian adoption and just in general international adoption. Um, but overall, I'm very grateful just to have the opportunities that I have now that I probably wouldn't have had if I was in Eastern Europe. Um, but I definitely do think there are some complications with it um, that, you know, we have worked through or, and are continuing to work through as a family unit. Mm -hmm. 
you found out that you were tragic when you did your 23 and me was no, whose idea I, was that yeah so i always known i was tragic my, my okay. mom always would tell me that my mother was tajikistani so from a young age i always had this knowledge but we didn't know that i was full tajik and we honestly just didn't kind of It wasn't super like relevant to my identity since I was born in Russia. So that was like, oh, he's Russian. This is kind of the thing until I was older and I did my own research and realized that Tajikistan is not even very proximal to Russia. So like it's like 7,000 miles away and three countries between. So it's, it's completely different, honestly. Um, but when I did my 23andMe uh, test, that's really when I was able to like really see like, oh my gosh, I am Central Asian, like Persian, like fully from this area. Um, And it kind of like, I guess, gave me a bit more confidence in my identity and gave me a bit more confidence in exploring that. But I, like I said, I'd, before that, you know, when I was like 15, because I, I took the test at 17, but like at 15, I started expressing more interest in my heritage for sure. Hmm. You said your Tajik name earlier before we started recording, which obviously I'm not even going to try to say. But I read yeah. that you had a name, a Russian name before you were adopted. C correct. So my, my biological mother did not give me a Tajik first name. I had a Tajik last name, Khomidov, um, but my my first name was Russian. And so we were able to kind of infer that the hospital named me um, because of just the nature of how I was abandoned. It was quick. It was fast. It wasn't very like um, structured or kind of in a legal sense, you know, like signing papers and stuff like that. It was very much like abandoned case. So It wasn't very much like a structured um, situation. So I think what had happened was um, the Russian nurses gave me a, a very Russian name. So um, uh, Edward, and they say Edik in um, Russia, and then uh, Nikolaevich, um, which was my middle name. But they gave Nikolaevich to all the orphan males who were nameless in, in Eastern Europe. So this is kind of like a normal thing that happened. But once I was able to find my half-sister through 23andMe, um, she had a Tajik first name. So I was able to infer that probably my mother had a name for me, just wasn't able to legally name me that. Mm. You mentioned being abandoned. Have you processed that now? Are you okay with it? Or does it still affect you? Yeah. So being abandoned um, is definitely an interesting thing. I never used to say that I was abandoned just because it was kind of like a hard reality to kind of like feel like, oh yeah, you were abandoned. Um, but I was actually able to find some papers about three years ago with really the nature of like my birth. Someone had documented it and it was very much an abandonment. Um, just the nature of how things happened. She was in a rush and then she left very quickly and swiftly the next day. Um, so I've processed it to an extent. So it's not like I kind of like sit it, sit in it every day and wish that it hadn't happened because I think my life is better for it 100% because of it. But there are things I have to kind of like process. So for one of the things I have to kind of really feel out is being culturally isolated and being never seen as what I am. So um, when I finally got the confidence to embrace my heritage, I got a lot of kind of pushback from other Tajiks um, saying, oh, you're not really Tajik. You were raised by Americans. So that really is a really awful thing to say to an adoptee who is trying to reconnect to their culture. Mm -hmm. um, and then also within my own community, Um, I was raised in a very like white um, Louisiana com uh, community. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think just kind of embracing that side of me 
um, was a little unfamiliar for so many people. So either they had um, judgments on that region without understanding the context of the history and culture, mm-hmm. or they kind of um, didn't validate it because they didn't understand it. So it was very much for me just like an isolation or kind of like a an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the hardest thing with abandonment. It's like it's like abandoning my own identity, my cultural identity. But you're good now. I'm good now. I'm working on it. Like I said, it's it's a process, but I'm I'm grateful and I have people who support me, so I'm good now. Yes. Who's the main people that's been helping you with through this process? Um. So honestly, the connections I've made online have like changed my life. So I was telling you, like my friends Malika and Camila, um, are two great examples of people who have really kind of. Um, taken taken me in as a Central Asian person and accepted me as a Central Asian person, and they don't um, speak to me differently. They don't like, you know, like talk to me like I don't understand it because they understand I do know and they and I and I have learned. Um, and I was able to go to New York and see Malika in November, and we were able to go to a um, Samarkandi, which is a a city in Uzbekistan, but it was a Samarkandi wedding um, party, and we were able to. Um, just like celebrate the culture, we we're able to talk, we we're able to dance, and um, those sorts of people who are really including me in these community events really are changing my life and making me feel very validated in my identity. Mm-hmm. You're a bit of a celebrity online, I see. No, 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 no. That's that's not the right word. <laughs> I don't think that's the word. <laughs> Why? I don't. I don't see it as that. I see it as um, people. I see it as people who are supporting me and helping me find my heritage and my culture. Um, I really don't want to make it about my ego or about my um, my name. You know, I think it's definitely important that I have my name with the story because it's an interesting story. But I want to transition this from my journey to, you know, reclaiming my identity to the journey to just representing my culture. And so I'm kind of in that transition phase. But transition phase. But when people say celebrity, I'm like, eh, I don't know if that's the right way. <laughs> Well, I don't know the right word either, but you know, you have some fans. <laughs> I'll call them my, my supporters. My supporters. Sure, supporter fans are yes. close to supporters. <laughs> right, correct. Supporters. They, they, and they, and they've really changed my life and really have confirmed parts of my identity that would never have been able to happen without that. So I, I am so grateful for everyone who gives me feedback and and, and comments on my you know stuff and and encourages me because those sorts of things. Um, literally keep me inspired. Mm. With the support, there's always the other side of the coin, which is hate. Correct. How much hate do you get and how do you handle them? Um, I get, I wouldn't say I get a crazy amount of hate, but I've experienced hate um, mostly based off of um, certain things about myself. Um, and I think also the fact that I am from America. So they kind of have this judgment on me that just because I'm American, I may not fit their um, moral standards or I may not fit their um, other, uh, just any sorts of other standards. And so when I post and, you know, I make a post about a culture comment or like a, a cultural video that has nothing to do with my personal life or my personal decisions, they'll kind of project their um, ignorance or hate on that. And so it's like, okay, you know, easy, but I don't like to focus on the hate. And I and I usually um, can understand the context of where they're coming from. Like I said, as an anthropologist, we learn about ethnocentricity. So ethnocentricity is the idea um, that my culture is better than their culture because we have better values, we have better this, we have better that. But 
anthropologists really try to focus on letting go of ethnocentricity and truly trying to understand in a relative view where people are coming from. So I think with that perspective, I don't take it as personally and I can understand, you know what, you know, it's bad energy. I don't need to give it uh, attention. And I just focus on what I'm grateful for and the good support I get. Mm -hmm. I saw the TikTok account that hate Josh. Yeah. (laughs) Are these your friends or... Yeah, that that one was one of my friends. It was a joke because um, I was getting hate comments and stuff. So she's like, I want to make a hate page too. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. When did you find out that you're adopted or did you always know? My parents had told me from day one. So I was, like I said, I was two years old when I was adopted. So I was kind of a more of a conscious being than an infant. So I don't have necessarily memories at the time, but when they did adopt me, I was verbal um, and I was able to kind of understand simple concepts. So I think from that time on, they kind of really just, you know, as I was learning English, because I knew Russian when I was this age, um, as I was learning English, they were um, just kind of like explaining to me that they went all, all the way to Russia because they loved me very much. And they took me over to uh, Louisiana. And, you know, now I have a family here. And I can remember them telling me these things when I was at a very young age and never feeling weird about it because I didn't know any different. Um, but I've always known Hmm. There's a comedian that has a joke that his brother was making fun of him, and his older brother was saying that he is adopted. Right? It's a oh yeah it's a thing, right? Oh yeah, and, that's a thing. Yeah. If, oh yeah. And then, and then the he said to his brother that, well, at least mom actually came and chose me. Yes, he, that's right. That's he didn't right. choose. She didn't choose you. You just came out. That's right. She didn't she didn't get to choose. That's hilarious. Well, fun fact actually, which is a really cool thing. My parents didn't choose me or my sister. Um they thought it was kind of weird to just choose children. Uh, they didn't feel right about that. So they told the orphanage to choose for this. So they chose I was chosen by the orphanage um to be sent home. So it's very, very interesting that I think it has a lot to do with I guess my destiny and, and the universe um and trusting in the universe and trusting in things uh things sort of like falling into place the way they were supposed to. So I think it was all meant to be. Mm -hmm. You said destiny. Do you believe in destiny? I do believe in destiny. And I believe, I believe that things happen for a reason. I believe that goodness um, happens for a reason. I believe in like positive energy and putting out good energy. So good energy comes back to you. So I, I, the things that have happened in my life, I, I can't, I can't deny destiny. Like, so for another example, I was able to find my half sister and I'll speak on that a little. She also, she was born um, five months after I was adopted into the United States and we share our mother. So it's the same mom. Um, And uh, didn't know she existed. My family never knew she existed. She existed until I was 17 years old when I did the DNA test. Boom. You got a half sister in Kansas. So simple things like that. I can't help but believe were meant to be um so i'm just very grateful i just kind of try to remain in a state of gratefulness with with everything that's happened to me and my my sister nice so you're saying that your parents your adopted parents you adopt adopted you and your sister and then there's another sister that is in kansas so this sister i was adopted with here is not my biological sister she's my adopted sister okay she's elizaveta she's ethnically russian my half-sister is my biological half-sister in Kansas. She was adopted by another family. She's Tajik like me. Um, and that's the one who I was able to find and I didn't know about until I was older. So Anna or Elisabetta is um, 
not my biological sibling, but I see, she's my sister since we were raised together. Yeah. Your sisters. Um, Correct. What's the age difference between your sister from Kansas and you? Two and a half years. Exactly two and a half, like right around two and a half years. Um, so it wasn't a super large gap between the time I was abandoned um, and the time she was abandoned, which honestly was a huge, huge surprise for me in finding her just because... <sighs> I don't know. It just was a lot to kind of like process. I've processed that fully now, but um, just kind of like questioning what was my birth mom situation? What what did she go through? I, I feel for her. And I can imagine um, being a Muslim woman, a Tajik woman in Russia was not easy. Um, I don't know if you know a lot about how Central Asians are treated in Russia, but it's very bad. Um, a lot of systematic racism against people from the Caucasus and Central Asia. Um, so I, I just can't imagine what she had been through with all the social pressure. So I don't judge her, but I definitely am curious. Are you not angry towards her? No, I'm not angry. When you were younger, never. did you ever feel? Never? Mm-hmm. you feel sympathy? Sympathy and understanding. And um, yeah, just trusting that the decision was was right for all of us. Look at this. Such an evolved human being. <laughs> it's the, it's my only choice I have because you know you can live life bitter mm-hmm. you can live life being the victim you can live life with those perspectives or you can live life with gratitude and you can look around and be like you know what maybe these things happen but my sister is taken care of she has a beautiful family in Kansas I'm taking care of a beautiful family here why not live with joy than being bitter I love that. That's so beautiful. It's well put, especially coming up from the situation that where you came from, you know? Correct. Growing up, obviously, you know, you were adopted, but I'm sure you had cousins. Did they ever give you problems? My cousins here? Yeah. Oh, no, my cousin's here. I, and like, we, I would prefer not to talk about my other, my extended family on here either, but I'll just explain to you. Sure. My cousins here were very good to me uh, i was raised with them uh, like i said cajun upbringing and like I, I was a cajun too you know and i lived out in um I, I lived out in baton rouge which is more the city but my mom from um kind of the rural areas of louisiana so we would always go hunting and fishing and barefoot uh outside so i, I had a really wonderful childhood and i had a wonderful uh, family so it's kind of like brings back to why i don't really um stay angry with my birth mother and why i have sympathy for her and why i'm just grateful for the situation that both me and my sister are in so yeah you were raised with love love absolutely i heard that you have the picture of your birth mom yes i do and i'm sure she's beautiful i mean you're a good looking son of a gun Ah, uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. She is a beautiful woman. Um, Have you ever tried contacting her? So I've never tried contacting her. Um, I try to keep um, all that very private with like her name and stuff. So I don't say those things out loud, but no. I have never contacted her. Um, I, I, I had reached out to her on the app I was able to find her on, um, but she had been inactive for many years. Um, mm. So there really is no way for me to, but I have been able to locate um, other family members, extended family members. I don't want to get too much into detail on that just for um, her safety, my safety and the privacy of it. But um, I'm going to Tajikistan um, soon, inshallah. So um, I'll hopefully be able to find her when I do go. Whoa, man, that would be crazy. 
Yeah, and and I have like some very specific locations and coordinates on her just because I did a lot of research, and I talked to a lot of people in um, her home city, um, and so I, I I'm pretty sure I would, would e- easily find her. So it's just kind of like when I'm ready and when uh, my sister is ready. Mm-hmm. So you bring your sister too. Um, when I find her, I probably doubt that my sister will come just because she's a bit more um, reserved with that um, side of our story mm-hmm. and more reserved with just like kind of going um, out to Tajikistan, which is very understandable. Tajikistan is not the safest country. Um, it's, <laughs> it's not dangerous. It's not dangerous necessarily, but it definitely isn't the safest. Um, if you're being a woman, uh, being a woman in Tajikistan is very hard. So they always like let you know that, hey, like, the men will like cat call you. It's very common for women to be harassed, you know, mm-hmm. foreigners and locals. So um, I understand where she's coming from and I don't want ever want to push her. So I, I'm comfortable going. Uh, I can fend for myself, but she'll go probably when she um, is older. She's also younger than me. She's still in high school. So I don't want to push her to do something. She's not ready. To no, do. You, if she's not ready, she's not ready. Correct. Do you know how old your mom is right now? Yes, my mom is in her 40s. My birth okay. mom. My God, you could be my son. I'm 40. <laughs> yeah, she's in her 40s. <laughs> wow. The app that you use, what is this app for? It was a Central Asian and Russian um, social media app. Okay. Uh, I, found it in, I found her during COVID. Um, just had a lot of time on my hands and I was curious. Um, and so I was on the social media app. I was looking through my documents that I had, just looking up names and boom, matched the first and last name and it matched the birthday and year so i said yeah that's her and um, she kind of looked like you uh i think similar hmm. she looks more like my sister um uh my mother is from the north so um she has um in tajikistan depending on where you're from you have very different phenotypes so my mother is from the north and depending on the region from tajikistan you are from you have different phenotypes. It's very like prevalent. So my mother looks very northern, and northern Tajiks look more um, Uzbek. So this means they have a bit more of a Turkic look, which means it's a bit more East Asian rather than Middle Eastern. Um, and so my mother and my sister kind of share that look a bit more than I do, um, and I look more like my biological father's side, which I had later found found out that he's from the um, southeast region, which more looks more like Afghani, um, Pamiri, which is that region. Um, so I, I we we share phenotypes, but at the same time, um, I don't think I look as much like her as my sister does. Hmm. How about your father, your biological father? Do you have any information on that guy? Zero information. Zero zero zero. Um, only the only clues I've been able to have about my birth father is through my own genetics. Hmm. Um. So on the um DNA tests, you've been able to kind of like given your relatives and so since my half sister who shares my mother's genetics is on there i'm able to coordinate which ones are on my mother's side because of my half sister and which ones are my father's sides those who aren't related to my half sister and the ones who aren't related to my half sister are also from tajikistan but from a different part which is the like i said the southeast region balakshan pamir region Mm. this is a pamir hat actually yeah i love the hat Yes, yeah. This is Let this hat is from Balakshan. Yeah, it's called Toki. It's it's, it's a Balakshani Pamiri hat. Oh, oh it's circle. Because usually I see the square one. Yeah, this is a circle. I love it. Yeah. Where did you get it? I got this from a friend named Komron. He lives in California. He sent me a couple things, and this is I mean two three years ago, uh, and he sent me the Pamiri hat. So I'm very and it has like a little 
fluffy thing right here, which oh, I love, yeah. which is awesome. So I have all the different hats from each region, but I wanted to wear my, my like shiny one because I think it looks the coolest on me. And your jacket's red. Uh, my jacket is just a puffer. <laughs> no, I mean, your jacket's red goes with the, your hat. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What's the hat for? Is it like a religious thing or is it like for utility? Mm -hmm. So the hat is really kind of a cultural thing. Um, so in Tajikistan, if you really notice, a lot of the older men are wearing the hats like every day to day basis. But the younger generation really just wears hats, the tokis or the kolpaks, um, only when there's like certain days of celebration, so like Ramadan or Eid or uh, Naruz. Um, and so... This hat I see mostly worn when there's some cultural thing happening in Badakhshan, like um, Naruz, uh, Solinav, uh, which is New Year, um, um, the uh, winter equinox, um, and, and they wear these like when they're dancing, when they're having fun. Um, but the part of Badakhshan I'm from is a bit of a mix of the Pamir and Tajik because Pamir kind of has their own little identity. Um, so they also wear the black one that you've seen, the, the kind of the square looking one. I like the one. Um, yeah, the Vanjis. Yeah, they, so they wear the square ones like that and this one. They wear both. So I kind of switch between. Hmm. Do you speak Tajiki? I don't completely, but I'm learning and I've been kind of um, practicing. So I can do like the formal greeting. So like um, we can practice here. Let's let's practice together. So sure. Um, just I'll, when when I ask you when I say Chicheli, just say Hub, okay? Just say hub. so Hub, 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 Hey, why are you torturing me, man? Hub. All right, Hub. All right, there we go. So, Salam alaikum, dusty aziz Chicheli. Hub. Oh, uh, and then you could say like, oh, like Alhamdulillah, or like, yeah, yeah. oh, like Hub, um, whatever. So I just pretty much said like, Salam, dusty aziz, like, hello, dear friend, how are you? And you say good. Oh, okay. Yes. What are you learning? Are you using Duolingo? Um, I'm learning through music because they don't have Tajik or Persian on Duolingo. Hmm. Um, so I've learned a lot through music. I have some books to learn. Um, I have some books um, that I've learned through kind of with just like vocabulary, things like that. So I know a lot of random words. Sun is Oftobak. Uh, water is Ob. Cat is Pishak. Like just random stuff. Um, and but formulating sentences, I need to get better at. Like I can know like Khujavasti, where are you from? Oh, man as Dushande, man as Khujan, man, you know where I'm from. Nomi man Jamshed, my name is Jamshed. Like I'm, I'm learning, but I, I need to get definitely a little better. We can always be better at things, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you have a lot of friends online. I'm pretty sure you guys talk and you practice, right? Right. Yes, and that's another really cool thing. I've been able to practice with real life people who speak Tajik, who speak Farsi, who speak Persian, um, and because of that, I think my Tajik has gotten better. And if I didn't have like that resource of um, kind of connecting with people online, um, I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to, I guess, yeah, connect the way and learn as quickly. Mm -hmm. What action have you been taking to make sure that you still respect your adopted parents' culture? Mm. So I feel like, honestly, they honestly have been super supportive with like me with everything. So like they're the type of people who understand like when they were adopting me, they were understood like the complexities of like being adopted. They understood the complexities of like the mental Total, it may have on a kid. They understand the complexities of cultural identity. So every time I 
had interest in my heritage, in my birth mom, in my family. They never took offense to that because they understand that that is my right. So I don't really feel like there's a need to like respect them in that way. I mean, I respect them, but it's not like doing the things that are my right, like my identity and my ethnicity and my heritage, all these things, my biological family. Um, doesn't impede on any respect on them because they understand and they respect me. In terms of respecting their culture, I love Cajun culture. I still eat. I still eat Cajun food. I literally had my mama uh, show me how to make some uh, rice and gravy a couple de- a couple months ago. <laughs> you know, we go out. We we still celebrate all the, like you know. We still have fun with like the Cajun music. We listen to country out in the country. I I still visit them. Mm. Um, so I, if anything, I really respect Cajun culture and I love learning about it. And so they know that. And and they're like, you care more about Cajun culture than we do. You know, you're obsessed with this. <laughs> so um, they there there's definitely just a mutual respect we have for each other. Mm-hmm. Did you go to therapy? For processing all the ideas of you being adopted, or you just did self. No, I, I went to therapy. So mm-hmm. I, I had I went to as a child. I went to therapy. My parents noticed I had some um, th- um, attachment issues with my just being like away from my mom would really stress me out when I was younger. Um, just because you know being in an Eastern European orphanage might do that to you. Uh, yeah, but being abandoned uh, too, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so they were very like aware of like, like I said, like, like the mental tolls of, of that. So they had me in like therapy for a little while for my anxiety. And then even, even recently, um, it was kind of a hard year for me recently. I, I did therapy and, uh, my therapist is actually also, um, adopted. She's, um, domestically adopted. So she's from Louisiana and adopted by Louisianians, but it's still good to have someone who understands sort of like what it feels like to be adopted. And so mm-hmm. my parents have, and they pay, my parents like pay for my therapy. That's like very much a supportive, um, Thing I've got going on here, so I'm very, very blessed. Yo, your parents are amazing people, man. They are good people. They are good people. Holy crap! I mean, good for you. God yes. bless. Like I said, I can't be better. Like I, I'm, I'm grateful. I can't be better. Mm-hmm. Why should people care about Tajik culture? Mm. I think people should care about Tajik culture because. Like Malika was saying in the last podcast, Tajiks and in general Central Asia has, um contributed so much towards modern society, modern science, astrology. So I, I think Malika talked about how Al-Khurazami ta- started algebra, algebra, that, you know, these were people who were Tajik, who were Uzbek, like these people are from Central Asia. And so I see the relevance towards um, the societal contributions um, of my people. I think growing up in a very Eurocentric um, atmosphere with the school I was in, um, we learned history through the context of white people, which, like I said, I don't have anything against white people. It's it's not like a you know white people did great things in history, you know, and bad things. You know, everyone did bad things, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's too much Eurocentric, so it makes kids who are from you know Asia or Africa or any other place that's not Europe feel a little um, underrepresented, feeling a little irrelevant. And I remember having this feeling, especially when I started introducing myself to my own culture and being super excited about this, but I'd be like, but no one knows about this and no one knows about my country and I feel irrelevant. And so I want to kind of combat that that idea that Central Asia is irrelevant, that um, my region is irrelevant. Um, And I want to kind of promote like in a positive way what our people may, you know, contribute because I think Central Asia and a lot of Muslim countries in general are kind of put in such a bad light throughout the media, uh, throughout movies, history, you know, history books. Um, 
And so I, I kind of want to bring up more positive light in, in, in that way. That's why you started the culture of Tajikistan. Yes, that's kind of where I started it. And I started the culture of Tajikistan on Facebook and then I moved it to Instagram and then I opened my personal page, kind of a mod podge of all of it. But I was like, hey guys, I really just want to show you all a cool side of it. Not just like, you know, things that are the big stereotypes. You see the headlines like Taliban or 9-11 or this <laughs> and that. No, it's it's unfortunate, but there's so many associations with um, growing up when I told people that I was Tajik or that I was from Tajikistan, you know, in, in high school. Um, I wouldn't always get positive feedback. So I would get people throwing stereotypes at me um, about Muslim people, even though I'm not even Muslim, I'm just from a Muslim country. Um, and so I just kind of want to, like I said, combat that. So you say you're growing up being Tajik, you're telling people you're Tajik. Did you know anyone that is Central Asian anywhere in your area? No, I, I, I grew up. So in Louisiana, the demographic is white and black. Um, mm -hmm. So it's very much like you have Cajuns and you have black and then you have Creole. So, you know, it's it's still a melt melting pot here. It's not like completely white or anything like that, but there's just really no um, Middle Eastern people or Central Asian people. Um, and so I had never met a Tajik in my whole life until I was um, 17. Mm -hmm. um, and so <laughs> it was also kind of like one of those like thoughts of like, oh my gosh, I really need to meet Central Asians because like I feel so isolated. I have not been able to see my face in other people. I've not been able to <laughs> feel like I connect to other people in, in, in a real way. Um, so I, I also want to also, I guess, kind of in the future surround myself with more Central Asian communities like in real life. Hmm. Um, and I've made a couple friends here at LSU. I have some Uzbek friends, uh, some Kazakh friends, uh, a friend from Kyrgyzstan. Um, I have a Pashtun friend. So like, you know, I'm, I'm getting more involved with Central Asians, but it's still super low, the, the, the number in the community. Mm -hmm. I love Central Asians, man, by the way. I talk about them all the time. They're, they're the best. Yeah, they're supportive. <laughs> That's right. And, and they're very family oriented. And I honestly always talk about how similar Central Asians and Cajuns are mm. because they all like they have really good food. They're super family oriented. They're a bit gossipy. It's like the same thing. Gossip is the best. <laughs> I love gossiping. It's That's right. You know, all um, the, like um, Malika always talks about like the aunties from Uzbekistan gossiping. I said, hey, I got that same thing going on in Rain, Louisiana. Like it's all like everyone. It's the same culture. <laughs> Hells yeah, man. I love gossiping. I don't know if you read that book. Oh, I'm terrible with books. Homo Sapiens by, oh, what's his name? Anyways, the name of the book is Homo Sapiens. And it talks about how Homo Sapiens um, became, quote unquote, the boss of Earth, right? Correct, yeah. And it says that one of the most important things that we used was gossiping. <laughs> Which makes sense because in the book it says that through gossiping, we find out who's good at things and who's bad at things. Right. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Like like I said, taking kind of like a more like sociological um, perspective on human behaviors. And this year has been that for me super, super intensely, like kind of removing my own biases towards, you know, Louisiana culture, towards Tajik culture, towards any culture and just seeing ourselves more as these like you know creatures who have these really complex social structures and it, it, it just becomes insanely fascinating you know mm -hmm. actually new orleans was the first destination of filipinos i did not know that really yeah yeah wow. like, 
I didn't know that too, like few years before, because I thought it was California, because, you know, makes sense. California is the closest, right? Right. But actually, it's Louisiana. It's New Orleans. The, uh, so they would come from the Philippines via Cuba, via New Orleans? I guess Mexico. Bro, I'm Mexico. stupid with geography, but like that's, <laughs> that's how they do it. Like you go to Mexico, because Mexico and Mexicans and Filipinos, we're like cousins. Correct. Yeah. We're like pretty much the same, you know? <laughs> the Spanish influence on both of you guys. Yeah. Like it's, it's so strong. Like Filipinos, they're, we're more Spanish than Asian. A great book that I read was about this Filipino writer that how come the Chinese and the Japanese never thought us how to make swords or how to make, why did we have to wait for the Spanish and the Americans to thought us these things? The writer's idea was because they never thought that we were Asians. They were. They always thought that we were like lower people. Interesting. And I honestly, I only learned about like Filipino people in the past five years when I kind of became less Eurocentric with like what I was looking at with Scott, like scholarly documents and history. And I, I just know that there's like a very big Spanish influence, and um, the language is t- uh, Tagalog. That's the dialect Tagalog, but. Uh, the language is Filipino. Filipino. And there's a lot of Spanish borrow words in that oh, language. Yeah. Correct. Like we, the way we say hi is kamusta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. You know, like the word that you said when we we're DMing each other, you said sal- uh, sala- salamot. Salamat. Yeah, yeah salamat. So we, that's how we say thank you. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah we say salamat boshed. It means like blessings upon you, health. It, it's, it's a wish of um, goodness upon you. Mm. Our language is so diverse. It has Chinese, uh, uh, Arabic, English, Spanish. Uh, oh. Well, there's definitely like, um, isn't there like the bottom half of the Philippines is more um, Islamic, correct? Yeah. Or there's, yeah. yeah. So the, that would make sense. The Mindanao. So there's three main islands. Uh, Luzon, Visayas, Mindanao. Luzon is where I'm from, the main island. And then Visayas is the middle. Visayas is more like... Uh, several big islands, small islands together. And then Mindanao is a big, big land. That's where the Muslim stays because they're closer to Indonesia. Right. And Indonesia has a very, very heavily, heavily um, influence. And I was reading about how Islam even got into like Southeast Asia and all that. And there was like some, there was some guy who was spreading it. It was crazy, like how religion spreads in the most sporadic ways, you know? Yeah, yeah. Actually, me, I was raised a Catholic, right? But unfortunately, there's a heavy prejudice towards Muslim in the Philippines. Yes, and yeah. the Spanish used that against us. So they made us believe that, oh, you're Catholic, you're better than them. Right, right. And, it, and that would make sense how that was rooted even in Spanish history with the, you know, the Moorish Spanish fighting and how there's always like the Spaniards fighting the Muslims and then bringing that kind of attitude towards the Philippines. It's very mm. interesting. It, it's also, the funny thing about us is we were colonialized 300, 303 years by the Spanish. They right. never thought us how to speak Spanish. That's so interesting. Well, I, I always wonder why, like what their, I, oh, I, what the, was their the intention? The idea is uh, divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Right. That was the idea. Because we were, like in 7,100 islands. Right. And Tajikistan went through something very similar as well as Uzbekistan. So we were all part of like these like different emirates back then in the 1700s. The Bukharan Emirate, 
uh, emirate, the Kokandi emirate, all these like very like you know Islamic uh, Muslim Persian structures, and then um, the Soviet Union came in and they said, okay, we're gonna make y'all Russia now, <laughs> and so all these like Muslim people had to um, kind of like um, denounce their faith. A lot of mm. a lot of mosques were shot down. A lot of cultural holidays were made illegal. Everyone had to add the of or the each in the last name. So that's why my last name, Khamidov. Khamid is a root word. Hamid is an Arabic word. So our last name would have been Hamid or Hamidzada. But when the Russians took over, it had to be turned to Khamidov, like Romanov or any other Russian name. Mm. Um, and they changed our alphabet. So our, our writing used to be like the um, Arabic Persian script like this, mm-hmm. which is more authentic to who we are and our identity. But um, they changed our Persian writing into the Cyrillic. So our language is literally Persian, but it's in the Russian alphabet. So no you way. Can see it. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's so amazing. you can you can see how colonization really messed up so many areas with yeah. identity. Um, but yeah, our, our whole alphabet is Cyrillic, but it's but it's Farsi. So like an Iranian won't be able to read it, but I could read it. And if I read it, he would understand it. If a Persian read his alphabet, uh, Tajiks would understand it, but uh, we wouldn't be able to read it. So it's, it's very weird. I love weird. it. That's like a code, yeah. you know, like the secret yeah, it's, code. It's very weird. Yeah. And that's all because of colonization. Yeah. So when the Russian came and took over all the Central Asian area mm-hmm. and they had to denounce their fate, yeah. How did the faith came back and sustained? So they were Soviet times were very like atheistic, agnostic time for Central Asia, but people I think kind of remained um, religious just quietly, and mm. um, was more of a personal thing. But once, um, and this is just for me speaking on Tajikistan because I don't know like the influences in Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, and, um, other Central Asian countries. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Tajikistan, once. Um, we kind of got our independence in the 90s. There was this really um, invigorating um, movement to kind of re-Islamify the country, um, reclaim our identities as Muslims, as Persian people, um, as Iran- Eastern Iranian people. Um, and so that's kind of how it came back because it was us kind of like reclaiming an identity. And so with that, um, we became more Islamic. I love when you say we, you know, I love it. Yeah, it's my people. Yeah, hell's yeah man you should be you should be proud that you are them you are with them you know i they, it's like i said it's that I, I believe in like genetic mem- gen- genetic memory um and so like i'm the manifestation of all my ancestors that's me and you're the manifestation of all your ancestors mm-hmm. so there's no way i can deny that no way mm. is there in anthropology speaking of genetics you're, you're talking about is that knowledge in anthropology yeah, I, that is definitely something that's studied, especially with ethnography and biological anthropology. Um, studying, um, it, it's really rooted in, instead of like kind of like genetics, it's more rooted in like um, mitochondrial DNA and um, the Y haplogroup DNA. And the reason why these things are studied is because um, with these sorts of um, indications through the mitochondrial DNA, which is like that gene that's passed through each mother, uh, mother to um, mother to mother, like so it's passed down from one woman and it can be traced back all the way to Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of like make um, inferences on um, human migrations and which groups uh, met and how they mix. And so that's kind of how genetics is like really um, studied in that way in, in mm-hmm. that field. I heard that phobias are from our ancestors. 
So in our ancestry, one of them somehow, let's say you're scared of spider, right? One of the ancestors had a problem with a spider and through that, it created this imprint in your DNA and he passed it on to that person. I don't, I don't know too much about how phobias came about, but I do know that the way that we all have our traits is through um, natural selection. So the things that kind of like worked and that kind of served the individual and kept them alive was a trait that was favored, obviously, because the ones that didn't have it died off. And those were the things that like lasted on. So probably the ones who are afraid of spiders are the ones who live longer. And that's how that got passed on. Yeah, because they were running instead of like this guy's. He's like instead of instead of playing guy. with spiders. <laughs> right. Exactly, you know. Correct. Don't be an idiot, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> I remember. I it's fascinated me. I, obviously, I'm not high level anthropology, but it's one of my favorite uh, topic to talk about or read about. Yeah. So, you're proud as a Tajik. What's the main thing about Tajik culture that you'd like people to know? Ooh, that is a wonderful question. Thank you. I think what I want people to know about Tajik culture and just about Central Asian culture in general hmm. is that there is a way of existing and being that is different from what we know in the West, that is unique, that is expressive, that is poetic, that is instrumental. And that is just so colorful um, in that region. And I just want them to know that, that it exists and I want them to see how it's lived. That's kind of what I want them to know. Like this just really exciting, awesome way of life. Hmm. And it's not perfect because there's a lot of like hardships and there's a lot of, um, a lot of these people do experience poverty and things like that. But the culture and the history and, and the fabrics of um, these traditions are so ancient. It's, insanely unique and so i think that's what i would want them for sure to take away mm-hmm. you we talk about people throwing hate over to you earlier have you ever been accused of cultural appropriating no because um i no because i think I think cultural appropriation would be um, when you're appropriating a culture that, for one, you're not a part of a culture, like genetically, and two, when you're not educated. But I educated myself. Um, I'm a Tajikistan encyclopedia, honestly. Um, and so I've kind of passed up that kind of like that kind of threshold of me just being like, oh, I'm Tajik. This is cool. Like I've educated myself. I have books on books and I've made it my passion in my life. So um, if anyone were to throw that at me, I would just. I would I would let that roll off my shoulder and move on. How would you feel if you see a person that culturally appropriating Tajik culture? Um, my thing with the pro- cultural appropriation is where is the intention? So, hmm. um, if you're wearing Tajik clothes, but you just want to show it off and you understand the context and the history of it, then I don't really have a problem with it. But if you're just wearing Tajik clothes because it's this Orientalism kind of thing and you think it looks cool and Eastern and you really are uneducated and you hold biases towards these people, that's where I think it's um, wrong. But I don't want to gatekeep or anything like that. Like, I don't believe in gatekeeping and I believe the cultures are meant to be shared. We're humans. We're all one family. And I think it's good to share cultures in a respectful way. Yeah, I love that. I, I'm, I have a problem with cultural appropriation, too. It's just, hey, you want to wear kimono? You want to wear my my clothes? Bro, I will be happy. 
Correct. I'd be honored. And there's no one really wearing Tajik clothes. I mean, there was one incident that Ralph Lauren um, used mm. the traditional Atlas Ikat. Um, and I think that was very wrong because that did come from Central Asia and they weren't giving um, credit to that. But eventually, enough comments in the section, we they put the caption from Tajikistan and Uzbekistan. So that's where I can respect it more. But also, I, I think that, you know, if one of my white friends wanted to try on my Tajik outfits I, I would not care like Hell i mean yeah. i don't think that i don't think they're trying to like you know commit some sort of cultural arson upon me so i it's it's i'm not super touchy about that but i do think it's all about your intention and if you respect me as an individual and respect my culture yeah because the the one that you talk about ralph lauren they were trying to make money off of it we got problems Correct. There. they're exploiting right yeah that that's a different <laughs> situation it's not like just a random guy wearing um a garb or whatever that is from a du- another culture. These people are trying to make money. Right, right. They were profiting. They weren't um, educating or they weren't really respecting. Yeah, exactly, you know. Mm-hmm. Listen, Josh, I think we're there. Awesome. I had an awesome time. Yeah? Yeah. I'm glad. Before we close out, do you have any last remarks? Anything to say? Hmm. You know, guys, I just want to say this. I may not be perfect in how I express the culture. I may get things wrong. I don't want to. I really do be. I I really do try to be intentional with what I post and how I'm posting it. But just know that to all the people who have really sent me positive energy, y'all have truly changed my life. Y'all have truly um, given me a new perspective and a new reason to be. So I just thank all of y'all for that. And also. I didn't mention my Instagram at culture underscore of underscore Tajikistan. That's the one where I kind of really nerd out and I put my more, you know, micro niche posts. So if you're really interested in like my obsession, you can go in there and, and see what I'm doing. But I just want to thank you all guys for um, just just being super awesome. Hmm, definitely. Also, it's not just you posting whatever. There's actually art you're posting. Yeah, well, I try to make it art. I'm not an artist, but I, I try to do it. <laughs> ah, you're an artist. You're creating things. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Again, Joshua, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Salam It means so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. Bye. Again, Josh, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Del Yosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.